Hello, everyone. This is Justin Knackpill again with the Road to Wealth podcast. Happy Sunday. It is October 3rd, and hopefully everyone's having a great weekend and on the verge of having an amazing week as well. I thank you for coming on the pod and listening in. And on today's episode, I have Clint Murphy from at Grow With Clint. He is a father and husband first, but also is a chief financial officer at a real estate firm. He's an avid real estate investor himself, as well as growing his road to financial independence for him and his family. And on today, we talk through his episode around how he got started within his field. We also talk about his early struggles of overworking and really a wake-up call that his family and most more specifically his son gave him. And he opens up around that vulnerability and showed how he overcame that. And then we talk through his journey, his strategy when it comes to real estate. And lastly, we end with his definition of financial independence and what he's doing to take that both from a strategy perspective, but also how he's doing it in conjunction with his wife and his family. So I want to thank Clint for coming on today's episode. And most importantly, I want to thank you for tuning in and listening in. As you may have heard, if you've subscribed, we actually have episodes coming out every Sunday with different money stories from different people. And if you can, please feel free to share it with a friend or family if they have any value out of this. This really helps me. And if you feel inclined, please leave a rating as well as a review on your podcast platform of choice. Again, we will have an episode every week. And with that, let's go ahead and tune into our conversation with Clint from Grow with Clint. Hello, everyone. This is Justin again with the Road to Wealth podcast. And I am honored to have a fellow uh, North American with me, <laughs> calling all the way up in Canada uh, from Clint Murphy from Glow with, uh, Grow with Clint. And uh, appreciate him joining on the, on the line with me today. Clint, how are you doing, man? I'm doing excellent. And thank you for having me, Justin. I'm looking forward to having a conversation with you. Me too. Uh, Clint and I are, have become accustomed and friends um, on, on the online space. And him and I have a lot in common. But uh, interestingly enough, we're going to dive into a little bit of his background and his wealth journey. So uh, no, I appreciate uh, you coming on again, man. Um, so for the listeners, could you, you know, I don't want to disparage anything or leave anything out. So could you give the listeners a little bit of an intro of uh, who you are and a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. No worries. So I would say at a high level, I am a husband and a father to two boys. They are 13 and 10. So that takes a fair amount of my time. I am a CFO by day of a real estate development company. And so you will see that I talk a lot about real estate. And that's because it's what I do all day, every day. And at the same time, I have a podcast built around learning where I have conversations with authors. So I'm moving that up to once a week. So each week I read a book and then have a conversation with an author about their book, which is very fun. And I also write books. So I uh, have finished a fantasy novel that I've written with my sister. We're in the process of searching for an agent right now. And I spend a fair amount of time on social media, on Twitter, trying to learn how it works and grow on there and meet some great like-minded people, which I'm really enjoying. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun uh, meeting a lot of 
our respective alumni slash you know community and network online and all of us have different philosophies as it pertains to our own respective finances and we're, we're going to dive into the real estate piece because that's something that i'm trying to learn and I, I think you have a very unique perspective not only the the, the history you've had building your portfolio but also it being involved within your nine to five and you know, mm-hmm. being a CFO of that real estate company. But um, why don't we start there? You know, uh, first of all, uh, what got you into real estate and um, you know, how, how did that also get you into pursuing executive leadership within the space as well? Yeah. If I, if I rewind, I have always loved real estate. My wife and I, when we were young thought, Someday we are going to buy homes and fix them up and flip them. And I know everyone's thinking, well, you probably watched all the flipping shows, but I'm talking 20 years ago, late 1990s, we were looking at doing that. And where I live, it's a very high cost of living city. And real estate is a constant topic with everybody. You're at a dinner party, real estate gets brought up. You know, how to make it more affordable. Is it right? Are the prices going to keep going up? What do you think of this? What do you think of that? So real estate's very big in this city. And then as we moved forward in life, we were always buying real estate to live in. And the idea of investing was hard at first, Justin, because the price got so high so quickly. So that idea we had to flip homes disappeared when those homes were costing over a million dollars and we were two young uh, accounting articling students you know making 36,000 or 41,000 dollars each a year the idea the idea of buying million dollar homes and flipping them quickly disappeared so then it became well how can we climb the property ladder ourselves And how can we, once we had a certain amount of wealth, how can we deploy this to grow a portfolio? And somewhere along the way, I was lucky enough to get a controller role in a real estate company. I'd been at KPMG, an accounting firm on and off for about a decade. And I left to be a controller at a real estate company in 2010. And so I've been in industry for 11 years now. And I was reasonably senior at the firm when I left to take on that role. I was a senior manager for three years. Starting as a controller, I'm a very competitive person. I love to learn. I never want to be anywhere but the top. And my passion, along with learning, is teaching and helping other people grow and develop and achieve more personally, professionally, and financially. So when I put all of that together, climbing my way to the CFO position was the only thing that really made sense as an end destination, if not ultimately an owner somewhere someday. And so that was the path that I set for myself and then said, well, how do I get from controller to CFO? What's the path? Yeah, and I think for those that you know know you, they they recognize the competitiveness and really the ambition. Um, if you look at some of Clint's posts as well as some blogs and interviews that Clint has been on, 
uh, he shared a lot of his journey uh, of being competitive and, and, and trying to continually grow to be the best. Um, and, you know, I, I do want to, you know, talk, I mean, even for me individually, Clint, it's, you know, as I'm still relatively, you know, kind of midpoint within my career, now that I'm a father, and I, I love how you anchored yourself as being a father first, were there any challenges of, you know, I, you know your identity balancing, you know, this ambition professionally, as well as trying to still maintain the identity of a father and, and husband? Yeah, and, and I can share some examples of where it went wrong. And Justin, I'm, I'm getting emotional as I even think of them. The If I rewind, for a certain number of years of my boys' childhoods, I wasn't really there. I focused on my career too much. And there was probably a three or four year period where I was really trying to take that next step. And I was working hours where I wasn't around. And the one time I can remember two things happened over a very short time period. One was my wife who is also a a chartered accountant and is used to the long hours from a big four firm rolled over in bed, laid her head on my shoulder and uh, had some tears in her eyes. And she said, I miss you. And I said, I think it was a Saturday morning. And I said, I know, I know, uh, I miss you too. And I, and I have to go into work uh, on, on Saturday, Sunday. And I said, there's only a few more weeks of this and, and then I'll be through some big deadlines. And that was a period from Mother's Day that year for the next, I think, six weeks, I worked an average of 12 hours a day, seven days a week. So it was quite literally not home. And when it, so that hit me, but what hit harder was when my son stopped looking me in the eye. And when I would see him at night and I'd go to tuck him in, I said, I love you to my boys every day of their life. And he would stop saying, I love you. And so I I pulled him aside and just said, you know, son, I've noticed this and this. Is it because I'm not home? Is it because I'm not here? And he said, yeah. Yeah, you're not here. And so I, I, I was lucky enough that a few weeks later, I was in a car ride with our president. And I, I, I still wasn't the CFO yet. And so he said, what's the biggest fear you have in becoming the CFO? And I thought, well, if, there, if there's a time to bring it up, this is probably it. And I said, losing my son. And explained why shared the story. He said, how how old is he? I said, he's nine. And he said, same thing happened to me when my kids were that age. I had to change the way I worked, right? I had to start at home, working at home, come into the office a little bit later. I had to leave by a certain time and I could work later at night, but I had to be there for the kids. So he helped me 
set up the ability to be there for my kid, including pulling my boss at the time aside and saying, you know, no special projects for the next year. He has to learn the role and he has to have time for his family. And that's the type of thing someone does. You want to go through a wall for them, right? You want to go to hell and back for them because they've just shown that they care about you as a person more than the bottom line. So that's an example of when it was rough. And I'd say the last three years we've built the team. We all have more tenure. The balance seems better for everyone. And so I'd say my work-life balance over the last three or four years has been pretty solid. It was really that first, like you said, building up during those middle 10 years that I wasn't around. Well, Clint, thank thank you for sharing that because I I know that that's tough to, you know, not only internalize, but also to share. So I I really do appreciate, you know, you you being very transparent in that. Um, I'm still trying to figure that out as a, as a young father and, you know, speaking with uh, other, other fathers like yourself, it's, it's realization. So I I certainly hope for the listeners listening in, whether you're a father, you know, a, a mother, or, you know, just taking care of someone recognize that your identity is beyond where you clock in mm-hmm. or what you do. And I feel like the pandemic has hopefully provided that type of atmosphere. If you have been given the opportunity to work from home or given some self-reflection that, you know, you're, you are more. So, um, for, for those listening to grow with Clint, he's showing you his growth and, and, and demonstrating that. So thank you, Clint, for, for sharing that. Um, so, you know, with that, um, I think there was some other growth markers for you, you know, uh, you know, recognizing that and, and, and finding your identity as a father and husband, but also, you know, the, the, the investment and financial side for you, for, for you and your wife. I, I know you, you guys are partners uh, in how you're constructing that within, you know, a Grow With Clint Inc., if you will, at home with you, your wife and your two boys. Um, talk a little bit about, you know, your, your investment philosophy and, you know, uh, circling back to, to, to the real estate portfolio. Yeah, I would say we're, we tend to be all real estate all the time. And working in the industry for 11 years, spending time with a lot of people who own real estate development companies, real estate income portfolios, you see how they work, right? And, and we, I talk a lot about this in my writing, and so do quite a lot of other people that are in our sphere of influence, Justin. And some of the key things, I'll break it down into three key components that I love about real estate. The first is cash flow. If you buy it right, it cash flows. So you get cash flow every month. Who can argue with that? Where I live, buying a property that will cash flow is quite rare. So I don't live in the in in a in a city that has the one percent rule as an example, where the price the rent to the price is one percent, and so um, very attractive from a cash flow perspective. The second one is appreciation. So the asset will appreciate over time. A lot of people who focus on cash flow won't take appreciation into consideration when they're buying an asset. I think I've shared with you, Justin, the philosophy of comparing the different real estate categories to stocks, 
right? And so you, you may have a dividend stock where you're really focusing on the cash flow. And then we'll talk about where you can find that dividend stock. Then you have a FANG stock, a, a high tech. High Not growth. cash flow, yeah. but high growth, and you're looking for that appreciation. That's the appreciation perspective. And that's that tends to be what I've focused on. And the benefit of all the types is you have the principal pay down. So someone else is paying your mortgage. If you own a million dollar property, zero cash flow, you're not putting anything in, you're not getting anything out. It's zero. No appreciation. In 25 years, you have a million dollars. I love that, right? So I look at it and say, okay, if I have a portfolio that's $10 million and I'm 40, when I'm 65, I have $10 million and someone else gave it to me. Hmm. I don't know anything else I can do to get to 10 million that way. If I have a $50 million portfolio, someday I'm going to have $50 million of net worth. It will just work its way out. And so the, the middle asset class, let's call it the blue chip. And it has some cash flow, moderate, and decent appreciation, but nothing spectacular. So the city I live in, if you're going with apartments or you're going in the core, they're not cash flowing. And you're getting high appreciation over time. So rents have gone up on average 5.5% per year since uh, over roughly the last 15 years. And the market since 01 has doubled at least twice. Amazing. So if you owned a $250,000 condo apartment in 2001 it would likely be worth at least a million today. That's incredible. Cr incredible growth. So you're, so you're saying, well, can that continue? I don't forecast it. I forecast 3% growth per year. And I still think it can continue. I would not be surprised if in uh, seven years, you told me prices have doubled again. I won't forecast it. I don't build my models on it. Everything's built on reasonable rent assumption growth, which is tied to pass rent growth, uh, et cetera. So the, but what I early on was doing was I was very focused on those core assets. And I would say my personal home is in that core. I'm mm. in the middle of the city, if you will. Um, and I have one condo in the core. I realized probably about four years ago, we had a down market here, Justin. And one thing a lot of real estate developers talk about is the time to buy is when the blood is in the streets. And so I put in between 2018 and 2019, we put four townhouses under contract. The thought process there was, if I'm in the core, generally they're smaller homes I'm renting to students, young people, mm -hmm. higher turnover, higher damage risk, parties, et cetera. And I said, I think single family homes, they're not really building them anymore where we live, right? You've got to go pretty far out to get a single family home that's brand new. And when you look at the path of development, 
at some point, large townhouses won't really be built anymore, right? Mm -hmm. You'll get skinny, smaller townhouses. You'll have low-rise apartment buildings, and that'll be the focus because everyone's going for densification. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, if that already happened with single-family homes and that's the path with townhomes, why don't I buy large townhomes that I can rent to families, have low turnover, low damage risk, and so we put four under contract that were pre-built. So they were going mm-hmm. to be built over time. We closed on two last November and we're closing on two more in March. And you can imagine the timing relative to COVID. So all of a sudden COVID hit and at first total fear. And then what ended up happening was people decided they wanted to move out of the core. They wanted to go to the suburbs. Mm -hmm. They wanted more space. They wanted bigger homes. And so those four assets that we purchased appreciated very significantly in value. And sorry, I also, I already had one uh, townhouse out, out in that direction that was performing well before I started that. So where we're at now, Justin, we have the house in the city, We have a studio apartment in the city, has its own front door, which is a benefit during COVID. Mm -hmm. Or sorry, not a studio, one bedroom. Apologies. We have uh, three townhouses that are currently being rented, slight cash flow on them. And we have two more townhouses that will be coming online in March. And then last for getting the portfolio last month, we bought our first rental vacation property, if you will. Hmm. So short-term rentals, seven day, seven day minimum and pay pretty high property management fee there. But the rents during high season are in the neighborhood of $700 a night. So you can rent it out for 4,000 a week. So you do that for that five month high season and it sort of pays for the full year Mm -hmm. and you get the benefit of using it for a few weeks yourself. So that's, that's the full portfolio. It's leveraged somewhere in the 60 to 70% loan to value area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and, and that's a lot of doors, right? You know, for those, for, the, for those listening, you know, Clint has really illustrated uh, his strategy over time. I love Clint, how you, you know, really uh, categorized it in a similar way to equities. Um, you know, I'm a big index fund guy. So, you know, for many of the, you know, equity investors that haven't dive, you know, dove into real estate yet, you know, I love the classification because I, I think similar to an equity portfolio, you also need diversification within your real estate portfolio as well. And, you know, I, I certainly, you know, thank you for, for sharing, you know, your philosophy on that. Um, you know, one thing, Clint, that, you know, I, I looked and, you know, what drew me uh, not only from the real estate perspective is how you're also capitalizing on the leverage portion to help build your wealth with, with real mm-hmm, estate. Can mm-hmm. you comment a little bit on, you know, how you see leverage and, and ultimately what, what it's done for you? Yeah. So if you, I mean, people may be looking at it and saying, okay, well, you, you've bought that many doors you're in an executive position, you're making a lot of money, so you must have just used that money to do it. And to some extent, that's true, of course. 
I have to recognize the privilege of, of, of our earnings and what we're able to do there. And at the same time, we scrap for dollars. You know, when we bought our greatest returning investment we have, I'd say two of them, we used 0% MBNA credit cards wow. to buy them, right? To pay the deposit. And then fought like hell to save every dollar that we had so that when the end of the year came up, we didn't get the retroactive 25% interest rate, right? And we've refinanced properties to get home equity lines of credit, searched every way we could to get the most leverage we could to close on that next property. We're at the point now where I want to take a little bit of a break and get some of that leverage down just to breathe a little Mm -hmm. and just to say, because it gives you a little more optionality and I like optionality in life. And so I'd love to spend a few years getting that debt down. And at the same time, I know myself, right? As soon as I have an extra hundred thousand in cash and don't worry anyone out there in Twitter sphere. I don't have a hundred thousand in a savings account. That would be ridiculous. Would never do it. As soon as I have the ability to have about a hundred thousand via, you know, paying down my lines and all of a sudden I've got a hundred thousand in a home equity line sitting there untapped and you have a little bit of a, a pause in the market. I'm, I'm going all in. Right. Yeah. It may, but what's going to be different, Justin, is I'm done with the fang. I'm done with the high, high appreciation, mm-hmm. low cash. Anything I pursue from here on is cash flow real estate. Mm-hmm. And that likely mm-hmm. means going out of province, which is why, and for, for your US listeners, our, our, our provinces are the same as your states. And so you, you, a lot of the listeners may know out-of-state investing. Out-of-state investing is not the same as in-state. There's a, a lot more challenge to it. Yeah. And so I'm either going to have to go out of province or figure out how to invest in the U.S. Because your cash flow ability in a lot of the cities down there is is way more than I can achieve where I'm living. I might be able to get it in certain areas in Canada, but the U.S. is a lot better for cash flowing real estate. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think you'd have a, a different strategy if you were if you have that you know th- that option here in the states. Um, you know, for those that are listening, if there are any ideas out there that you can you know uh, partner with Clint, you know, please please go ahead and do that. Um, yeah, I would love it. Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. Um, and you know, I think the the aspect here that you illustrated is the fact that uh, it wasn't just your earnings, but you know, there was discipline, there was strategy with you know your wife on how to scrape. I, th- I think you know when we talked during pre-show a few weeks back, you were talking about how you were scraping for dollars just to save for for down payments. Yeah, she she's always in charge of the cash flow, right? What tends to happen in our family is I get the ideas. And I get, I get creative and I say, here's what we should do. And and I pull the trigger on something. Mm -hmm. And then she says, well, how are we actually going to execute on that? And so she goes into saver mode, right? I mean, she's been promising me I'm allowed my own bank account 
with some of my own money in it to spend as I see fit without the mothership oversight. And she's the mothership. Uh, she's been promising me that for about a decade now, Justin. And uh, every time I'm about to hit the uh, benchmark that she set, she's like, well, you know, here's a new benchmark because you wanted to buy two more homes. So no, no Clint bank account. You, uh, you're just going to have to live with our joint account uh, until then. That's obviously by design. Uh, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've never had a problem with it. A lot yeah. of people think that means that I, uh, don't acquire the things I want. All it means is I don't have a secret account that I can acquire <laughs> things I want, but I still, I still buy a fair number of nice things that I want over time. Uh, and, and part of what I've realized as I've gone on this journey is I want a lot less, right? What I really want is freedom. I want to be able to pursue what I want when I want. And, and you know, we're going to get into it. I'm curious how, you know, you were speaking on how you and your wife, you know, partner together. Mm-hmm. Have you, have you two defined what financial freedom looks like for you two? I have for me, she has not for herself. And what I mean by that is she, she likes the concept. She's on side with it. She hasn't read much on it. She hasn't studied financial independence, early retirement. I don't know if she fully believes me. She is reasonably frugal to begin with. She's been working roughly since she was eight years old. So she's always been working her entire life. She saves, she invests, although she actually leaves... I'd say 100% of the investing decisions up to me. Um, But she doesn't really think what is financial freedom. Hmm. And so she's bought into my plan. Part of what I've suggested to her, Justin, is, hey, we can both continue to work, but that work should be something we can do from anywhere in the world so we can travel up to half the year together, Hmm. you know, four to six months traveling every year, which becomes the dream. And she's on side with that. I think the difference and and I, she might beat me up when I get her to listen to this. And at the same time, it's, it's similar to a lot of what I write about on Twitter. And what that is, is step one is knowing what you want. Then you have a plan and then you do the work. And so anytime anyone asks me how I've achieved any of the, whether it's writing the novel, the real estate, mm-hmm. the job, the podcast, running every day for one and a half years, Ironman, ultramarathons, they all come down to that. Once I figured that pattern out, it became possible to achieve anything. Hmm. You just had to want it create the plan, and then do it. And she hasn't done that first step. And if you haven't done the first step, odds are you haven't done the second step. And so you can't even do the third step. So she doesn't know what she wants to do when she's financially free. Hmm. She doesn't know what that contracting role might look like. And so she hasn't taken taken the steps. Whereas I have for me you know, a six point plan of what I'm going to be doing when I'm financially free. 
and that's what I'm driving for. So, so for me, there's something to drive for. For her, there's nothing to drive for. So she, I think she's less invested in it than I am. Well, I think conceptually too, you know, us being the money nerds on online and having platforms where we can, you know, really discuss it openly. Um, I think when you're in a partnership like that, it's you know encouraged to also you know really identify what that means together. Um, I recently tweeted something of you know if you want to go far, you go alone, or if you rather if you want to go fast, you go alone. But if you want to go far, you go together. And it's yes. not you know something that I've created. It's certainly a, a quote that's out there. But um, no, I, I you know I'd be curious to see you know um, in the next coming years uh, if either you and your wife have defined what that looks like together. Yeah. And- you raise a very good point. And I think she had a lot of fear and anxiety whenever I talked about my plan, right? Because it was what she wanted to know was how will we still have the life we have when you decide you don't want to work anymore? Yeah. And how can you show me that you will? So despite all the planning I'd done, despite the roadmap I'd built of here's where I need to be in 2021, 2020, here's where I need to be to know that I can do what, I'm, what I say I'm going to do, I don't think she knew that I put that level of thought and discipline and commitment into it, right? I think you, know, you and I were chatting before we started recording and showed you a little bit of the um, setup man, I have here. The man cave. And, and, <laughs> yeah. The man cave is literally my own separate building in the backyard. And so I can see she's in, in the kitchen inside right now with, with the boys and I'm out here by myself. And here's where I do most of my thinking. Here's where I do most of my writing. Here's where I do most of my planning. And I'm as a man, maybe I shouldn't say as a man, although, you know, we tend to be worse at it than women. I'm not a great communicator to her of all the things that are in my head. I'm more of a, if she asks me a question, I'll answer it. Mm -hmm. I don't go to her and pull out my goal sheet and my five-year roadmap (laughs) that tracks every step of the way towards the plan and say, Hey, here's, here's why I'm comfortable with the path financially. Here's the forecast net worth. Here's the forecast cash flow. Here's the five-year, you know, six box. Right. I I don't lay that out. And so I've had a few working sessions with her over the last six months, Justin, to help ease her fears of where the plan will be over time and how we'll hit it together. And it's gone a long way to creating instead of fear, anxiety, and antagonism, I'd almost call it, to support. Mm-hmm. to having a partner who says, okay, I see what you're doing. I see what the plan is. I'm with you. Yeah. No, I, I love that, you know, the efforts there and that, you know, you've gone through some, you know, similar exercises. I think that that's great. And um, it, it's going to pave ways to uh, what we talked about before when we initially met was, you know, this long-term pivot plan. Yes. And uh, <laughs> yeah, for, for those that don't know, you know, Clint has, um, he's a podcaster himself. Uh, he's obviously a writer. He's actually the owner of The Pursuit of Learning. Um, talk a little bit about, you know, what, what that is and this whole concept of what you define as a content entrepreneur. Well, that's great. And and I have a guest coming on soon. So I'll have an even better idea after I read the book, which is Content Inc. Effectively, what it comes down to is the ability to lever yourself, your personal brand, 
and your message into your business. And so when I look at the pursuit of learning, it is absolutely a passion project uh, in the event. Anyone that I work with is listening, absolutely a passion project. And the key though, to that passion project is I'm learning and growing every day. And someday I will have learned and grown enough that that passion can have monetary aspects to it. And it doesn't necessarily have to be through the podcast. It could be through writing books, coaching, creating a community, public speaking. And that is all built around the content. And so ultimately that is where I see it going. So when you talk about the pivot, that's a big central piece of it Mm -hmm. is the writing, the podcast and the writing will be fiction and nonfiction. So, you know, if we can dive into that, if you'd like the podcast continued real estate investment as a means of cash flow. And there's a couple other things on the list as, as well. I think I would, with the writing, lever that into courses, community, things of that nature. So I have some ideas on how that could scale over the next, you know, once I'm done working full-time, how I can devote more time to making it a reality. No, that's great. And, uh, you know, I think we're all looking forward to that. You know, for me, this podcast has brought me more joy, even though it's a passion project of mine. But really the value, it's meeting folks like yourself, Clint, that have a story to tell and can learn from many of the different lessons, both financially, but also interpersonally. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, what I loved was, you know, you sharing you know a, a lot of the the challenges, but really the the process of how to overcome them. So, um, I, I, I just want to thank you, man, for, for, for coming on the pod. Oh, no worries. Thank you. Yeah. No worries. Uh, well, with that, uh, Clint, why don't you do a plug of, you know, where people could find you as well as, you know, how they could also listen to, uh, the podcast and uh, find your content. Sure. The website is clint-robert-murphy.com. Or they can go to thepursuitoflearning.com. Probably a lot easier to just say that. On Twitter, I'm at grow underscore with underscore Clint. I can see why people say to take out the underscores. And they can also just email me, clint.robert.murphy at gmail.com if people have any questions. Uh, Hopefully soon the books will be out and I'll, I'll be able to share those on social media. Yeah, those are the best ways to find me. I'm on, I'm on Twitter probably the most, and I think my DMs are open if anyone ever has any questions or wondering how they can pursue some of what we're talking about. No, thanks, Clint. And I'll put all all the, all the detail within uh, the show notes on this episode. And you know, just a, an honor to have a fellow podcaster, man, and really appreciate the journey you've been on, um, not only from a real estate perspective, but you know, also as a father and husband as well, man. So I uh, really appreciate you, man. Thanks. I appreciate it. Cheers. Have a good night. You too.